to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk, come together with music from around the world, with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio, when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment, wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform Radio for Free Minds. the trippy music you know it's time it's time for the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio every Wednesday at high noon bringing you news with a socialist bent about things that I care about meaning drugs and abortions and a little bit of politics today's hot dirty pee and the sheriff rap is going to be uh, about Steve Bannon racist, misogynist, and homophobe. Also, currently the White House chief strategist. So if you're any one of those things, if you're a woman, if you happen to be a gay woman, uh, or or he really doesn't like the Jews very much, it seems. (laughs) So I'm screwed. I'm not gay, though. Uh, But hey, solidarity to my brothers and sisters of any kind. Let's break down misogyny and terms that turn people into objects instead of people. Anyways, we'll be doing the Steve Bannon rap later. Some of his wonderful and hateful quotes, especially when he used to run the little Breitbart. Breitbart, Breitbart. Fun things that he, uh, insidious headlines from his uh, his terrible, uh, hateful stuff. All right, so uh, that's that's what we're going to do a little bit later. But we're going to start out with some uh, Drug Policy Alliance news. I'm going to be joined by LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth, when very quickly she is on her way here. Uh, the bus is being slow. My bus was fast today. I mean, it's a weird thing. On Wednesdays, I figured it out. I call it. And it says 13 minutes, but really it comes in 10. And this is the first day I was there early enough that I didn't have to chase the bus for five blocks. And I'll do it. I'll run. I hurt last week my body because I had to run five blocks. That's how out of shape I am as a 42-year-old woman. Running five blocks winded me. Hurt my body. Not, I mean, you know, I had muscle pain and lactic acid in my muscles. I know that I'm old if I can't do a handstand, a cartwheel, or what's the third thing? Oh, this thing where I put my leg in the air like a cheerleader. Uh, All right. News from the Drug Policy Alliance. Go check them out at drugpolicy.org. Here we go. 
Drug policy in New York is changing. Safe Shape Tour across New York State calls for safer consumption spaces to combat skyrocketing overdoses. Though I'm sadly, I know a person who, um, in a circle of friends, where there was a person who overdosed uh, this weekend, and that's really um, sad and terrible. And it happens. And I, I mean. Uh, more than 100 New York City healthcare professionals release an open letter supporting safer consumption spaces as proven public health tool to reduce overdose and risk of HIV and hepatitis C. Advocates launch a 10-day tour of a model safer consumption space, SCS, and documentary on public injection in New York State to encourage public dialogue. Uh... In response to New York State's overdose and opioid epidemic, a coalition of healthcare professionals, public health experts, advocates, and people with a history of drug use are launching a statewide campaign calling for the creation of safer consumption spaces, SCS, Supervised Injection Facilities, SIF, where people can legally consume previously purchased illicit drugs with supervision from peers and healthcare professionals who help make their use safer and connect them with medical care, drug treatment, and social services. The campaign kicks off with a release of an open letter signed by more than 100 New York City healthcare professionals in support of safer consumption spaces and press conference where advocates will urge elected representatives to consider safer consumption spaces and supervised injection facilities as innovative harm reduction tool to prevent further disease and death in our communities. Advocates are simultaneously launching a 10-day statewide tour featuring Safe Shape, a model of safer consumption space, and screening of Everywhere But Safe, a documentary about public injection in NYS, followed by a panel and community conversation. Tour sites include cities that have been hard hit by the overdose crisis, Albany, Poughkeepsie, New York City, Ithaca, Buffalo, Rochester, and Syracuse. Nationally, there were 500,000 opioid-related deaths between 2000 and 2015. In 2015 alone, opioid and heroin overdoses killed 52,404 people, more people than traffic accidents and homicides combined. In New York State, deaths from drug overdoses increased 71% between 2010 and 2015, pointing to the urgent need for bipartisan response that takes all concerns and communities into account. Emergency departments across the state saw 37,347 opioid-related outpatient visits, a 73.1% increase from 2010, and 75,110 opioid-related inpatient hospital admissions, a 3% increase from 2010. In 2014, oh, uh, in so they, they found 75,110 opioid-related inpatient hospital admissions in 2014, which was a 3% increase from 2010. Also due to increases in injection drug use, communities in New York have seen increases of up to 47% in new cases of hepatitis C since 2012. Oy. 
As stakeholders around the state are demanding that we prioritize saving lives and recognizing that, quote, we can't arrest our way out of this problem, unquote, New York State must continue to shift its approach away from the failed policies of the war on drugs to evidence-based drug policies, such as safer consumption spaces that prioritize public health over costly criminal justice strategies that produce disastrous health outcomes and major racial disparities in law enforcement. Safer consumption spaces are a harm reduction service that provide a safe hygienic space in which people may inject pre-obtained drugs under the supervision of health workers and be linked to medical care, drug treatment, and social services. Nearly 100 SCS exist around the world. They have been rigorously evaluated and shown to steeply reduce overdose deaths, HIV, and viral hepatitis infections. And public disorder and to increase access to drug treatment and other health care. Internationally, SCS have been tremendously effective in reducing rates of HIV infection, HCV infection, and overdose deaths, as well as improving public order by reducing improper syringe disposal and decreasing drug arrests and saving taxpayer money. While SCS do not yet exist in the United States, there is a lot of interest and progress in opening safer spaces across the nation. Kings County in Washington State has approved opening the nation's first SCS. Maryland and Vermont have both introduced legislation to approve them. California legislators have expressed interest, and both Ithaca and New York City are studying potential implementation. Quote, we can't sit back any longer while our friends and loved ones die, and we know there is more we could be doing right now to protect those at risk, unquote, said Shante Owens, member of the advocacy group VOCAL New York, who described his own experience injecting heroin in unsafe, unsanitary places while homework in a New York Daily News essay. Quote, the sooner New York allows safe consumption spaces, the more lives will save. To serve hard-to-reach communities across our state and to assure public health response to problematic substance use, communities should provide a point-of-care intervention for people who use drugs that include all of the necessary harm reduction tools and resources within a safer consumption space, such as expanded access to naloxone, a safer drug use equipment, also known as syringes, and drug treatment. Further systematic changes are needed to address the persistent stigma of drug use, the dearth of education among providers and agencies regarding addiction and harm reduction, policies that exacerbate racial disparities, and ongoing barriers to care that continue to take a devastating toll in lost lives. If we want to save lives, reduce criminalization, and end racial disparities, we need comprehensive, innovative, and forward-thinking approaches like safer consumption spaces, said Cassandra Frederick, New York State Director at Drug Policy Alliance. New York is in a unique position to step up and implement innovative drug policies rooted in science, compassion, and public health, as we did with syringe exchanges before. All right. Safe consumption. I mean, it only makes sense to not have people injecting with needles in, you know, get abscesses. I saw Requiem for a Dream. I mean, I want to unsee it in my head, but can't do that. Let's read that, um, the, uh, this article here from the Daily News. Moving the needle on heroin addiction, a former addict makes a case for a supervised injection facility in New York City. This is by Shantae Owens. This is that um, article that he wrote. 
To many people, supervised injection facilities, safe, clean places for heroin users and others to inject, are a strange idea. As a former heroin user, I can explain why they make sense and why New York City, which is currently hosting the first such facility in America, would be right to take the plunge. I injected heroin for more than 20 years, starting in the late 1980s when I was only 12 years old. During that period of time, despite my addiction, I made decisions with the information that I had to stay safe the best I knew. Not everybody who uses is homeless, but I was. When you're homeless, the top priority is to go somewhere where the police will not be. And that left me with a McDonald's bathroom, housing project stairwells, and any secluded area, say a vacant lot or park. Every time I needed to inject, I went through the same decision-making process, weighing my options and deciding what was the sa- where was the safest place I could go. Although opiate overdose is completely reversible with naloxone, many people who inject drugs die unnecessarily due to being alone when it happens. A decision made not irrationally, but so that we don't get further caught up in the criminal justice system, charged and taken to jail. When I overdosed, I got lucky. Honestly, I don't know who found me. A good Samaritan, a person who saw my humanity, made that call and saved my life. At supervised injection facilities, life and death consequences are never a matter of luck. In the entire history of safe injection sites, which have been around for over 30 years and are now um, in about 100 locations around the world, there has never been a single recorded death due to overdose. When I was using, there weren't harm reduction programs the way there are today. There was no place to get clean syringes. To prepare heroin, I had to use things like a liquor bottle cap found on the ground with water from the tap. Today, I have needle marks on my arm and all up and down my legs from infections that could have been easily prevented if I had clean equipment to work with. SIFs not only provide clean equipment, but staff that can guide users in ways to inject that will prevent things like vein collapse and tendon damage. I'm also living with HIV, and I know for a fact that if I had access to an SIF, I wouldn't have needed to share needles. To the system, I'm a career criminal. But if you read my rap sheet, the crimes represent ways that poverty and addiction are criminalized, like jumping the turnstile and possessing drugs and paraphernalia. When I got caught up with the law and spent time in jail, they'd release me right back onto the streets afterwards. And I'd go through a system and come back out no better. Sometimes I'd be offered a program, but it wouldn't make sense for me. I'd be back using and on the street in no time. Eventually, I felt sicker using than not using. And when I finally stopped, it was because I had support. Supervised injection facilities can provide that. People who use the Insight SIF in Vancouver, for example, are twice as likely to enter treatment as injectors who aren't part of the program. I understand how people think that these facilities morally condone the use of dangerous drugs, but I don't see it that way. What's clear to me is that what we're doing now, as we continue to wage the war on drugs, is helping nobody. The result today in New York is an exploding overdose crisis. Deaths increased by 65% between 2010 and 2015. Speaking recently at a Staten Island meeting of his heroin task force, Governor Cuomo declared today's situation worse than the heroin and crack epidemics of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I don't want new users to go through what I did. I just want them to be able to use as safely as possible and know that if and when they're ready to stop, there's a place that can help them do it. Owens is a community health worker in Manhattan and a member of the grassroots activist organization Vocal New York. Yay! 
That's sad. It's super sad. That's reality, though. It's, I mean, it's real stuff. I'm joined now by the Sheriff of Truth. Late as always. It's all good. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. Hey, the bus is, sometimes the bus is early, sometimes the bus is late. I gave up and called. Oh, you called the Uber Scooper? Yeah, I've been trying to be a little bit more... Frugal. Yeah, and it's not its not helping me. The bus is uh, not helping you in your frugality. Yeah, not in my area at least, but... Right. Minus my bus problems, the story that you were just reading about. It's... God. Well, that's what they're trying to push right now in New York. They're doing a 10-day tour all through New York State about promoting safe injection facilities. Right. Because the overdose epidemic is it's so huge. And I, I, I'm connected through friends for to a person who overdosed this weekend. Oh no, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, and his poor girlfriend, they were um, like life partners for 10 years. They'd know each other forever. Luckily, they didn't have any kids, um, <sighs> but she found him and he OD'd. And oh, so man. like even then the locks, he hadn't done it in a long time. And I guess, I don't know. That's the other thing is that at safe injection sites, they have testing so that you can test your drugs so you can know what's in it. So if he got a really strong batch of heroin or something that had something else mixed in it, I mean, that's how you can prevent overdose. So it's like, do we just want to criminalize people with drug issues and say, hey, you know what? Overdose. We're fine with it. Or do we want to say, you know, we know you're addicted safely. Take it as safely as possible. I mean, it helps with all the, you know the fact of like you know the spread of hiv yeah, yeah. hepatitis I, hepatitis yeah i mean because hepatitis is going up too yeah, absolutely too. and it's stuff you live with forever Ever, and yeah. it's part of our health care that's the thing is that when do we decide as like a group as a nation to say hey education and prevention is going to help us in the long run yeah absolutely the huge problem we're going to have with diabetes forever Right, because and of our food system, the huge problem we're having with overdoses because of our the way we do healthcare and drugs, and all the opiates that are just flying around willy nilly. Well, even like what we we saw last week when you showed uh, the different uh, types of drugs and what they're right, you know right, the, right. the kind of um, it was. I think we were talking about maybe ecstasy or what MDMA. Right, that's what it was, yeah. and it showed there was this graph. Um, was it from the? Uh, what website was that from? Uh, it was oh. like the drugcheck.com. Yeah, so basically it gave you like a chart of all different types of che- or different types of drugs and what's in them and where they come from and you know. So I think that kind of would help especially with the opioid crisis because there was a strong batch of uh, heroin going around right. too. A lot of people were I think I think it was in the East Coast. Yeah, it was uh and a lot of people died because of like one big crazy batch. Like, yeah. It's a lot of overdoses. There's actually an HIV and hepatitis dot com. Which wow. I can't I mean I'm just like wow. Jesus. Because um, I I mean I'd like to know what's going on with well and then there's the HIV the the P R E P um, it's that pill that's supposed to be able to prevent HIV, and it was just done. It's saying it was just approved in Scotland. I've, I've seen when they were doing testing on the pill, I saw that on like on the sides of buses and stuff, and it's this new pill that's supposed to. Wow, I wonder how much that's going to be. How much it's going to cost? I know. Is it? Well, I mean, does the healthcare system make more money when people are sick? Yes. yes. Do you think that we're keeping people sick yes. so you think that we're I mean because I understand with with drugs pills when you get on them and, and especially with like depression and all that when you get on a pill for depression there's no off date no. there's no like hey I'm putting you on Wellbutrin and you're going to be off this in six months it's sort of an open ended 
You no. just sort of deal with this. You have to deal with it. And there are people who, who people I know, um, who you know try to not wing themselves off because uh, they they suffer from depression. That is, right. um, but they try to you know wing themselves off the pill. But their mood still they basically it's a necessity well and when once you start messing with your brain chemistry i mean and with something that when you take um anti-depression drugs you have to have them for two weeks before you build up the efficacy like the tolerance, tolerance and your body gets used to it and all this stuff so it takes this really long time to get on it but then they don't ever tell you how you're going to get off it right so that just doesn't seem and and i don't know it over prescribing of drugs I mean I know a lot of people that do want to get off them but they just don't know how but I mean hey the pharmaceutical companies like to make money off of sick people but the whole opioid the thing is let's okay how did the opioid crisis start good question we know how it started (laughs) we know we've talked about this so many times of how the pharmaceutical companies a lot of people you know were prescribed certain pills like oxycodone and others because dill to dill excuse me due to um maybe an accident back surgery or maybe they just want to do the shit for fun. There's those people right. out there too. Um, and then the pills got expensive. And then what else? What what comes after that? Well, I get a cheaper brand. It's called heroin. Right. This is here. I looked up misprescribing and overprescribing of pills. And uh, at the very least, misprescribing wastes tens of billions of dollars. Uh, barely affordable by many people who pay for their own prescriptions. But there are many more serious consequences. As discussed in adverse drug reactions, more than 1.5 million people are hospitalized and more than 100,000 die each year from largely preventable adverse reactions to drugs that should not have been prescribed as they were in the first place. Uh, What follows is the summary of the seven all-too-deadly sins of prescribing. First, the disease for which the drug is prescribed is actually an adverse reaction to another drug masquerading as a disease. Oh. Isn't that wow? If you're a okay. doctor and and they prescribe for a drug because it's wow, because it's a adverse reaction to another drug or maybe it's one of the side effects of another drug and they think it's a disease and so they prescribe. <laughs> Examples uh, are include drug induced parkinsonism, depression, sexual dysfunction, insomnia, psychosis, constipation and many other problems. Second, a drug is used to treat a problem that, although in some cases susceptible to pharmaceutical solution, should be first treated with common sense lifestyle changes. Instead of getting on that cholesterol medication, how about you lose 30 pounds? There you go. Right? Stop being lazy about it. Problems such as insomnia and abdominal pain often have causes that respond very well to non-drug treatment, and often the physician can uncover these causes by taking careful history. Other examples include medical problems include high blood pressure, mild adult onset diabetes, obesity, anxiety, and situational depression. Doctors should recommend lifestyle changes as the first approach to these conditions rather than automatically reach for the prescription pad. I t- totally agree I with that. I completely agree with that. That's just... Oh, oh God. I, but the thing is, there was also a culture that happened in the late 80s and early 1000s with doctors where 
the drug companies woo the shit out of them. They don't just give them pens and paper. They take them out to lunch. They give them samples. Not anymore. They've, they've definitely changed the rules of the way that pharmaceutical companies could woo doctors. Yeah. And at like when they go to their conferences and how they sell them their products. So they used to be able to really throw lavish parties and dinners and be like, you know. Sell our drugs. Sell our drugs. Sell our drugs. Uh, third, the medical problem is both self-limited and completely unresponsive to treatments such as antibiotics or does not merit treatment with certain drugs. This is seen most clearly with viral infections such as colds and bronchitis in otherwise healthy children or adults. So it's like, if you have a cold, you can't take anything anyway. No. Like, it doesn't make sense. So like that if Vicks you prescribe, doesn't if Vicks, work. Yeah, if... It's just, uh, fourth, a drug is the preferred treatment for the medical problem, but instead of the safest, most effective, and often least expensive treatment, the physician prescribes one of the do-not-use drugs listed on this website or another much less preferable alternative. An example of a less preferable alternative would be to use a drug in which the patient has a known allergy that the physician did not ask about. So if they like up price them on something and then they find out like they've got an allergy to something. <sighs> for, like for example, I can't take, I can only, I don't even know if I can take sulfas anymore. I think I can still take them. I can't take penicillin, penicillin or ampicillin. I can't, I can't okay, take either of those. So I can take sulfas, but sometimes they break me out into hives. But the only thing I can kind of take if I need an antibiotic now is the stuff that they used to combat anthrax, which is the kef, not kef, is it keflex? No. What is um sulfus uh, for anyway? Sulfus. It's it's a different it's a different method of antibiotics for those who are allergic to right. So like I had bronchi or I had um I had some pneumonia like three years ago, and the only way to get rid of pneumonia is with antibiotics. So I had to take a course of antibiotics, but if I take penicillin, I get anaphylactic shock. Oh so, shit. So so if I mean, these are things that I know and I've dealt with my whole life. So when I talk to a doctor, you know, I can let them know, hey, I need this instead of But they have to, it, it, right. But it depends. The thing that where this differs is that I speak English and I'm highly educated. And if you aren't maybe, and maybe English is your second like language, language and you go oh. into a doctor and you aren't able to adequately describe your history and you get prescribed some oh weird drug, right? Uh, fifth, Two drugs interact. Each on its own may be safe and effective, but together they can cause serious injury or death. Six, two or more drugs in the same therapeutic category are used, and the additional one is not adding to the effectiveness of the first, but clearly increasing the risk to the patient. That makes sense. So if you're on like, if you were on, if you were depressed, and they gave you a certain drug, but it was supposed to make you gain weight, but then they gave you another drug to counteract the weight loss, but then together they like were fun, you know. I mean, I don't know how it works. Seventh, the right drug is prescribed, but the dose is dangerously high. That happens with oh, the opiates all the yeah. time. Uh, this problem is seen most often in older adults who cannot metabolize or excrete drugs as rapidly as young people. And the problem is also seen in small people who have usually prescribed the same dose that is prescribed to people weighing two or three times as much as they do. Thus, pound for pound, they're getting two or three times as much medicine as the larger person. That Jeez, makes sense. Yeah. It's like when I... Um, took that fentanyl patch and learned that I'll never be a heroin addict <laughs> and I but before I knew it was 75 milligrams so before I, I, I scored it one. 
Yeah, uh, when my ex-husband's father died of uh, terrible, terrible liver cancer, they had given him all these drugs when he was like dying. Like he went from super alive to super dead in like Quickly, six right? six weeks. Yeah, like alive, dead. But so while he was he was in so much pain and he was in the hospital, they gave him these fentanyl patches and they were seventy five milligrams. So when he died, he willed me all his drugs. <laughs> so I got these fifty nine Marinol, which are synthetic pharmaceutical grade. THC, which were amazing, but he gave me 59 of them. They gave him 60. He didn't like it. He was like, I am way too high. <laughs> so I loved those. And then there was this drug and I don't remember what it was called, but it was basically cocaine in pill form oh, so that he'd God. be like awake and alert when people came to visit him right. because he was on this the fentanyl. fentanyl patch. That's what killed Prince. Right. And it's it's the mixing of all these different drugs. So when Cocktail. I took the when I took this fentanyl patch to check it out or whatever, I scored the side of it so only twenty five percent was on my skin because putting the entire transdermal patch on. I mean, I'm I'm one hundred twenty pounds. It would kill me. I mean, it's it could. Much. I mean, I wonder if you can overdose from fentanyl. Probably Prince. Prince. He was on fentanyl and all that stuff. And and if you take extra pills on top, on top of, of it, that, yeah. Yeah. Or you forget that it's in your system because you get used to it, especially if it's transdermal, and it lasts for like 72 hours. Shit. It lasts for three days. So wait, you only had 25% uh-huh, on it on your arm. And it, okay. I was so, I, I hated it. I don't like opiates. I don't like being that high. I don't like being high like that. Were you just like nodded off like you had no control? Yeah, I just, all I could do was lay around in bed and I threw up a lot. See. I vomited a lot. And I was trying to, that was the weekend we were having this dinner party and it was the second day. And I ended up ripping that thing off and it still took like 16 hours to get out of my system. Oh I was a mess. God. It was awful. I hated it. Yeah. It I, no I've good. never been a fan of uh, opioids or downers, period, yeah. just because of the fact of the matter. But the whole, as someone that was a bulimic once, you know, I don't want to be <laughs> forced to throw up. It's so awful. Yeah. 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 I hate feeling nauseous. and it, like oh. 16 hours to get out of your system. Yeah, huh? it was a really long time and I was high, I puked. It was the only time it's ever been that bad was when I thought, okay, a friend of mine, I thought that he had gotten like Vicodin and we were taking it with something, but it was, and I, or a codeine, I thought it was, but it was oxycodone. It was, anyways, it was like, it was like a crazy one, but I thought that it was like a mild one of an opiate Mm -hmm. and I took it and we had like a really fun night or whatever. But then the next day I barfed like I've never barfed before. It was awful. That's my body just doesn't like opiates. Oh, I don't think a lot of people's body really likes opiates unless you're like, it's, you know, in pain. Right. Literally like, I just had surgery or in an accident kind of pain. Right. But that's the scary thing. How do you wing someone off? Right, right. Well, this stuff, I say never get on it. I just don't understand your people's bodies and opioids and what kind kind of pain, like, merits constant opioid use. Like, I mean, I guess if you fall off a two-story building and you break your back or your back, your, your hip surgery, that kind of stuff. But that's but a lot of these people that I've been reading stories about or hearing about who have an addiction now are because of, you know, broken back sure. and stuff like that. And that shit is painful. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's I mean, there's not as the pharmaceutical companies haven't came up with a solution right yet to something. I'm like, okay, we need to get this drug off. It's just uh, curing someone's pain without make turning them into an addict. What do you and isn't 
can't, isn't there a pain medication that's not addictive? I mean, because pot is not addictive, but is it really, I mean, it's kind of pain medication, but it makes you not think about your pain or just don't mind it as much. I mean, it's definitely good for cramps. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But I mean, I think maybe you would need stronger doses or what have you. And of course, there's a CBD. Right. You know. There's got to be a way to treat pain that doesn't make you and turn you into an addict or it, but the question is maybe some people can take opiates but then there's a maybe 10 percent of the people in the united states have certain dna that they become addicts no matter what so then like how do you diagnose for that and say never give this person opiates because they're totally gonna but do they're not forever. gonna do that that's the problem i mean because you know unfortunately the doctors now are the biggest drug pushers and they make their money because of you know pharmaceutical companies yeah uh you that was you're listening to the AltaCast here on a mutiny radio every wednesday from high noon to 2 p.m we just did the drug policy alliance news we're gonna move into the gnarl pro-choice america uh, news yes. coming up later our hip-hop rap about <laughs> Steve Bannon. Oh, yeah, yeah. that gross-looking son of a he God, is, he is so. Gr- he looks like a fungus toe. He, a toe with fungus. He does. He does. He looks like a. He looks like a scabby buttwort. Yes, he does. He's, Thank he's you. the White House chief strategist, also <laughs> the main misogynist, uh, liar, and racist. Uh, racist. Sex. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he really hates the homos too. Oh, he is he hates, not into them. Doesn't like the Jews. He doesn't like immigrants. He does not. He beat he beat his wife. Right. He had the, the choke mark and the grab thing with yeah. the wife. And she was like, I just said that he, his, I wanted the Jews, kids to go to the Jews school. He is not a fan of you either. He doesn't. Yeah. Oh, he really hates the Jews. And bro. the terrible things that he said on his uh, Breitbart. Breitbart News. Just terrible, terrible things. And he's not joking either. Like, when you look at The Onion and they say funny things, you know they're joking. But he said some really just awful things about women. We'll get to that. Don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, we'll get into him. Yeah, we'll that get into him today. Nasty fungus of a man. Yeah. Is that a man? No, he's just a fungus. It's, he's. God, he's gross. And I, he's a chief liar, 45's chief liar stand up administration. Oh, I don't know how long he's probably going to last the in the White House. The great manipulator. In February 2017, Bannon appeared on the cover of Time, on which he was labeled the great manipulator. The headline used for the second for the associated article was "Is Steve Bannon the second most powerful man in the world?" And the concept that we have a racist, sexist, homophobe as the second most powerful in the world is very, very, very sad. Uh, anyways, we'll get we'll get to that. And it's it, he's been married and divorced three times, and he has three adult daughters. So I wonder he enjoys. Uh, grabbing the pussy too I, you know the sad thing is you don't hear anything about you know his daughters I maybe they have an estranged relationship I don't know yeah you know uh but yeah he's a disgusting human being he he you know what he deserves he needs to put his hood he needs a hood he needs a hood. he needs a hood he with two eyes there's this uh <laughs> he does films or whatever yes he did film he, and he did movies in, in Hollywood. He was a producer and a director. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, good, good stuff. We're gonna we'll get into him later. Clinton Cash. He was the producer and writer of a movie in 2016 called Clinton Cash. 
wow. Yeah, he's... In May 2016, a film adaptation of the book, funded by co-founder Government Accountability Institute and Breitbart News, executive chairman Steve Bannon, was screened at the Cannes Film Festival. Time Magazine reported that conservatives were not the intended audience for the film adaptation of the book. Environmentalists, anti-nuke activists, gay rights advocates, good government folks. They're going to find themselves increasingly uncomfortable over claims that the likely Democratic nominee in the film's words had taken cash from the darkest, worst corners of the world. And the film's U.S. premiere was scheduled for July 24th, 2016 in Philadelphia, and the film gained limited release in four other major U.S. cities around early August. The release has not gained enough attention from professional reviewers to gain scores on either the Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic's website. On the same day, Breitbart News uploaded it onto YouTube. <gasps> oh, the movie's on YouTube? I uh, Yeah, I, that's what it says. Let's look it up. That's exciting stuff. Oh, God. If that's the only place he could get uh, distribution or whatever, it's like... Um, that's funny to me. It's not on Rotten Tomatoes. Here, we'll watch the, we'll watch the trailer. Uh, Quillington Cash, official documentary movie, full. And, uh, it has three million views. It's super propaganda, but let's, um, let's listen to the trailer. I'm kind of excited about it. I think it's going to be good. (laughs) Let's see. You're listening to the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. Clinton Cash. Everything is for sale. Greetings from Washington. I want to thank all of you for your work to root out corruption that weakens economic development, feeds black markets and organized crime, and undermines the promise of democracy. I believe in the oldest adage in American politics, which is, follow the money. A new report today claims that the Clinton Foundation gives about 10% of its money that it raises to actual charities. Enormous amounts of money have flowed to the Clintons from foreign governments, foreign financiers, and businesses. The Clinton Foundation dropping its self-imposed ban on collecting funds from foreign governments and entities. You have a foreign corporation or a foreign government that wants something from the State Department while Hillary Clinton is Secretary of State. They will make a large payment to the Clinton Foundation. That will be followed by favorable action on their behalf. They've created a model for massive self-enrichment that allows you to go into so-called public service, but get extremely rich at the same time. Oh, yeah. I, I got to pay our bills. Before we had to worry about money from Wall Street and big labor, now we have to worry about it coming from around the world and infecting our politics. With the Clintons, nothing is sacred. Everything is for sale. But we are the ones who are paying the price. Maybe, just maybe, the American people are tired of being sold out. What? Even the quality is bad. Well, Steve, this is Steve Bannon here. I know. And first of all... Who, who's his 
who's the president again? Cheeto? Well, and that's a funny thing is that everyone, yeah. hey, everybody, everyone in the government is corrupt. You can follow the money anywhere. You can go to any lobby. Yes. You can follow the money. You can look at the you can look at the corporations. You can look what's happening right now in the Supreme Court. You can look what's happening with Neil Gorsuch. You can look at how people, how corporations are people and that they have these protections and these laws. You can look at where government spending is going to corporations. So it doesn't matter. So he's spinning everything. And that's the thing. Is how is their spin any better than anyone else's? to work spin? for Goldman Sachs, too. I just right. You know. he's, but that's the whole thing is that every, everyone, I mean, wake up. Everyone in government is a lying sack of shit. I don't care if you're Republican doesn't matter. or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're it not really out is. for our benefit. They're not looking out. We, we don't exist anymore. We're consumers. The only thing that's important about us is the money that we spend that drives our economy. Our gifts, our ability to make things, even our ability to, as a woman to make children is not respected unless it's that child making money somehow. That child needs to buy cereal straws. That child needs an iPhone. That child is a consumer. And it's Insane, of course the religious right wants us not to have abortions so they can make, because we are just making little cornflake babies and we're going to, anyways, I'm so upset that people spin <laughs> it on hypocrisy. both sides. Like the hypocrisy is, it's everywhere. And we, like we pretend that our government isn't, is out for our best interest. You think that the ABC coming in here and shutting down Mutiny Radio and fining us $4,000 is helping anyone? It's for the best interest of... Who does that help? Of no one. The community? No. The comedians? No. Actual people? No. What? So the... So we can squeeze $4,000 out of a community resource that hey, isn't getting any money? My, hey, Wait, where's ABC on 6th Street? Yeah, right? I know. Where's ABC on, like, Larkin? Well, but and that's the thing, is if, if you want to use a governmental agency to help I'm people... No, exactly, but if if they're worried about, you know alcoholism or people being hurt by drinking steel reserve or I mean talk about we're actually a safe space you know like we're not outside we're not outside outside where people can I mean and people drink on the street all the time and they don't have safe access to a place that they can I mean if they're an alcoholic they're an addict like anyone else and we pretend that some of these diseases aren't like if you're an alcoholic and you're a rich person, well then that's you know yeah, you're one you're thing. good. I mean, well, I mean, it, it depends what kind of alcoholic you it are. Too, and, and in that, form, I mean, to rich, rich people. people have so much access to alcohol all the time and drugs and drugs. They're the ones I get the drugs from. One of the, I mean, <laughs> I know people that have high power uh, advertising jobs and they're drunk all the time and their work pays for their little special cooler. So when they work after hours, they can what drink. What do you think that company card is for? Right. I mean, yeah, sometimes, I, I mean, I mean, expensive, expenses, expenses. You have to entertain people. Right. You know, and it's not going to Starbucks or a coffee shop either. Right. But oh, no, the man. hypocrisy of everything. It's just like, it. it's so funny that, Actually, you know what? We we need to get to the gnarl stuff, yeah, and then we'll we can go gnarl. off on this because right, there's so much about the hypocrisy of what is that's been going on. Excuse it's, me. Yeah, and the fact that um, we need to find a name for Steve Bannon, fungus or fungi. I don't something. know something. I was gonna start our rap today with like something like. All rise for the administration 45's chief liar, misogynist, <laughs> homophobe, 
<laughs> Steve Bannon. And then Steve, 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 Steph, Steve Bannerman. Steve, 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 Steve Bannerman. He's gross. He ain't holding no banner, Steve, Steve, Steve Bannerman. Is he the second? Is he the second uh, most powerful man in America? President Bannon? President Bannon. Is that, is that what's going to happen? Is it, I mean, That's my what God. Can, what, what can happen at this point? Nothing surprises Nothing me Nothing will surprise me. They're after, and that's the thing, too. They're, oh, you won't even, oh, I don't even know if I should, I, I'm like, are they listening? Are they? Wouldn't yeah, they're great? listening. I hope they are. <laughs> so the, the ABC, I had this party I went to this weekend, and it's this 420 party, and it's like the 15th year, and it's up at my friend's parents' ranch in Santa Rosa. It's far away. It's obviously a private party, but there was an invite on. There are nine bands, and they have a stage outside, and everybody camps. It's really fun. And there's like five kegs, and cool. you make much It's a fun party. The ABC called them. Oh, no! On Friday and said, hey, you need to take this off. Someone tipped them off. Someone called the ABC and said that they were having an unauthorized... She's like, wouldn't you be better served trying to bust a kegger of high school students instead of 50 adults who are partying at a 70-year-old's house that all know each other? At so, someone's house, property. Property, their own private property on their own ranch. Yeah. And the ABC, and so they're like, well, it's not like it's a wedding or anything. And it's like, how do you know? And so they said that it's a wedding between Agnes the dog and um, and Hudson the dog. They're having a wedding. It's a big wedding party for these two dogs that are practicing their nuptials. But the concept that the ABC called them, it made me think, wow, somebody's after me. And I'm not trying to make it all about me. No. In fact, it's not my party. Even I just like bring things to the party and help. And they're my friends. But I'm like, isn't that too coincidental that within two weeks that would happen? So is someone stalking my Facebook and doing you know oh because that's out in the public see this is right. why we might have to stop posting things i don't post things every day well i gotta that's how the station is basically built on the oh, back wait, of facebook I mean, well i meant of course not the station but like the fact of how they find how do you think they found out about the party i don't know maybe i don't know i have no idea that's why we think there's an inside rat that somebody that doesn't like me that's like passing things out i mean First of all, what the fuck is ABC got to... You're in someone's private property. I know. know. It makes no sense. In Santa Rosa. Not even in your jurisdiction. Well, it's a a state thing. It's a state thing? But that's... It's just... It's unbelievable to me. So that... The, the Santa Rosa people called her and, and talked to her and she talked to them for a while and they, they basically said just take it off of Facebook because it's a public invite and then you're because they're like the $40 isn't for the beer the $40 is for the food and the camping you know like but we finished all five kegs I that on Sunday I was like I'm working on finishing this keg I can I do I'm being I'm being a good person it sounds like fun too bad ABC didn't get the fuck it up yeah I know uh so here's uh the gnarl drug not not gnarl drugs uh gnarl pro-choice America some statements uh they put this out on 420 uh, today, well, on 420, in the Omaha, Nebraska, DNC Chair Tom Perez and Senator Bernie Sanders, oops, Senator Bernie Sanders, embrace Heath Mello, an anti-choice candidate for mayor of Omaha. Mm-hmm. In response, Gnarl Pro-Choice President Ilse Hoag 
released the following statement. The actions today by the DNC to embrace and support a candidate for office who will strip women, Mm -hmm. one of the most critical constituencies for the party of our basic rights and freedom, is not only disappointing, it's politically stupid. Today's action will make this so-called fight back tour look more like a throwback tour to women and our rights. If Democrats think the path forward following the 2016 election is to support candidates who substitute their own judgment and ideology for that of their female constituents, they have learned all the wrong lessons and are bound to lose. It's not possible to have an authentic conversation about economic security for women that does not include our ability to decide when and how we will have children. In the Democratic Party and its leaders would be ill-advised to ignore data that blocking access to legal abortion does not win you a single vote and robs women of dignity and autonomy. Abortion access is not a single issue or a social issue. It is a proxy for women to have control over our own lives, our families' lives, our economic well-being, our dignity, and our human rights. If we have learned anything from the first 100 days of the 45 administration is that women are leading the resistance. Engaging and turning out women voters will be a key in 2018. Look no further than the special election in Georgia this week. Democrats erased a 20-plus point Republican advantage in a deep red state with a reproductive freedom candidate who said his campaign was fueled by women. This makes the DNC's actions even more puzzling and troubling. The path to the DNC fight back tour takes the party down and would not help the party or our country if it turns its back on reproductive freedoms. It will only set back women's fundamental rights. Yeah. yeah. I read about that last week. It's surprising. See, this is, here we go with, even with the Democrat, well, that's been going on with the Democratic Party, but now it's about the party rather than the people, which, you know, we see how the Republicans are treating their own constituents and the you know fellow republicans you know it's about the party not the people right 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 it's the same thing that the dnc well, so, well but, the, but, but with the republicans it is about the people it's about the rich people it's not about the people well, oh, oh, well yes yeah the one percent you're the, absolutely it's about right. the rich people yeah their donors excuse me right not those in the red states like alabama mississippi or uh idaho that vote for them right yes yes, right. yes. those are people because yeah. they're poor people exactly right this was the gnarl response to DNC chair statement on women's rights. So the DNC came back, fired back, and said, hey. Uh, so Ilse Hoag, president of Gnarl Pro-Choice America, released the following statement in response to DNC chair Tom Perez's comments today, which was April 21st. Kudos to chair Tom Perez and the DNC for recognizing that we are a stronger party when we stand for our core values. Women across the country who are and always have been the heart and soul of the party are breathing a sigh of relief to know that the DNC has our backs and we look forward to a day when we don't have to fight and win this fight again. So... Selling point. Selling point. Well, so things, I mean. I, the thing is, like, the Democrats are so desperate. They just want to get any Democrat in. Right. And that's you know. really sad. And it is sad. And the fact that matters, like, you don't have to do that. I mean, seeing as how the Republican Party is lighting themselves on fire, <laughs> um, there's fire a possibility fire. that the Democrats can, you know, get their seat in the Senate back in 2018. It's possible. Um, but I I don't hear a lot of positive things going on in the Democratic Party right now either. I think they need to be a little bit more vocal. Well, what are we doing with Syria? I mean, yeah, we just that's, bombed Syria last week. 
Uh, psh, I don't know. I, I mean, every every week is a new one. Every because now, new. because now we got some conflict, of course, with North Korea, and then we got some conflict now with uh, I think Yemen again, uh-huh. and then we got we got some other shit. It, it's just well, I, they got conflict with me because they're still inside my uterus. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a, the twenty seventeen. Uh, who decides the status of women's reproductive rights in the United States. Welcome to the 26th edition of Who Decides the Status of Women's Reproductive Rights in the United States. This report summarizes the state of women's access to reproductive health care nationwide, including legislation enacted in 2016. Who Decides is the preeminent publication of choice-related choice-related state laws and legislative activity. And Narl Pro-Choice America and Narl Pro-Choice America Foundation are the only organizations that provide up-to-the-minute information about the enactment of new laws and decisions handed down by state and federal courts related to reproductive rights. Our policy staff monitors state and federal activity on a daily basis, so please be sure to check our website for updates throughout the year. Let's look at the laws in our state. Uh, what anti-choice measures are in place in your state? Uh, California, we have strongly protected access. So does Washington and Oregon. Nevada has protected access. Let's look at one of these. So Idaho has severely restricted access. Utah has severely restricted access. Arizona, you know, Texas, Texas, Oklahoma, Miss- Kansas, Missouri. Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. These are all severely restricted access. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. But not Illinois. No. Uh, Minnesota has some access. Iowa has some access. Illinois has protected access. But they aren't like us. They aren't like strongly protected like Montana, Washington, Oregon, California, Connecticut. Uh, this is crazy to me that uh, I, I'm really surprised. About Rhode Island has restricted access. Even Michigan. I'm really surprised by Michigan. Wow. Hawaii has strongly protective access. Alaska does. This is interesting to look at this map because of the swaths of color and what there's we there's a the majority of the United States has severely restricted access to um, reproductive freedom. I'm guessing this is with an all recent, too. Yeah, this is uh. up to the minute kind of stuff here. Uh, more than 900 anti-choice measures have been passed in the states in the past two decades. Only a few states stand out as beacons for protecting and expanding reproductive rights. So let's just pick a terrible state. What do you wait, 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 Missouri? Go. Let's go to Missouri. Yeah, restricted access. Let's look at what they're doing to their ladies. Uh, access fact: ninety percent of Missouri counties have no abortion clinic. I think there's only one in St. Louis. Wow. Now. Yeah. Wow. Political information. Uh, so you can see that they've got um, an anti-choice governor an anti-choice state senate and an anti-choice state house um they have restrictions on abortion care policies they have biased counseling they have mandatory delays they've got bans on insurance coverage for abortion uh they have no family planning policies they uh they support crisis pregnancy centers uh they refuse there's counseling and referral bans. Oh, gosh. 
Yeah. Missouri is not a not a nice place to try to have an abortion. You got to go to St. Louis for that one. Wow. Uh, let's look at um, another. It's fairly. Let's. How about Alabama? You know what that one's. They're a little about. bit backward, huh? <laughs> Access fact, 93% of Alabama counties oh, have no abortion clinic. They outbeated us. Yeah. I, was, I mean, Missouri. Out Missouri, yeah. That's but they sad. have the same, both their governor and state house and senate are um, all anti-choice. Too bad the governor's going to jail. Oh. Yeah. Sex scandal. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pence leaves and then they've got, uh, this is, I'm just, I'm just so sad that this, I'm really surprised by the upper Midwest states, such as like uh, Michigan, for one, which is, sure. you know, it was once. A, 98%, 98% of South Dakota counties have no abortion clinic. And they're all of their politics is all anti-choice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. North Dakota. 98%, same thing. That's really let's, let's high. Go to Michigan. I'm let's really- go to, let's check out Michigan. Okay. Well, that's, no, that's just Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Sorry. But we can go there. Wisconsin, too. 96% of Wisconsin counties have no abortion clinic. That's because Scott Walker's their governor. Michigan. Asshole. 86% of Michigan counties have no abortion clinic. Let's look at California. <laughs> 45% of California counties have no abortion clinic. Well, we are a large state. <laughs> yeah. But that's strongly protected access. Good. Well, thank you, Narl, for... Let's see if there's... A, what What else is a disgusting one? Florida. Oh, God. Let's look they, at Florida. They need to have abortion. Florida man has abortion. 73% of Florida counties have no abortion clinic. And on their entire executive and legislative branches are all anti-choice. Because uh, uh, what's-his-face is the governor, too. He he looks like a, the powder dude. Uh, oh, God. Rick, Rick Scott. Governor Rick Cock. Rick Cock. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> That's depressing. Oh, by the way, speaking of um, women's rights and all that fun shit. Yeah. Um, did you see? Uh, so there was the women's summit that happened in Berlin, Germany, uh, yeah. a couple of days ago, and um, <laughs> our first lady was invited to go. Uh-huh. Meaning our first lady, meaning Ivanka Trump. Really? <laughs> yeah. Ivanka and not. Wow. If you can, you're reading the headline right what now. What was Ivanka Trump doing at the W20 Women's Summit? Any. Way. And there, she was booed in. G- she was booed. Yeah, Brad, booed in Berlin for praising praising father Ivanka forty five, says fine tuning role. She's fine tuning. This is the Mercury News that said, um, "What is she doing there anyway? <laughs> what was Ivanka Trump doing at the W twenty Women's Summit anyway?" Uh, She's it was the first lady. It was cu- a curious scene at the W20 summit in Berlin that was bound to leave people scratching their heads even before Ivanka Trump invited jeers from the female-dominated audience by defending her father's support for families and women's empowerment. Uh, his head-scratching start, part started with Ivanka being on stage in the first place. Ivanka was speaking on a panel of women entrepreneurship, which may make sense given that she's the owner of her own fashion line. But this was decidedly political event and Ivanka was on an international political mission as the new White House assistant to her father Donald Trump and she of course has zero experience in government service before she took the West Wing job and she was in the company of some genuinely accomplished female political leaders starting with Angela Merkel who earned a doctorate in quantum chemistry before turning to politics and becoming Chancellor of Germany also on the panel was Christine Lagarde an attorney 
turned French government minister, who is now managing director of the International Monetary Fund, as well as Canada's foreign minister, Christia Freeland. Ivanka Trump talked about feeling empowered throughout much of her life, and now she's one of the most powerful figures in the U.S. government. But how did she earn that stature? By being Donald Trump's daughter. She also earned, owes her business career to him. He gave her a job at his company and put her on his reality TV show. And now she owes her job in the White House to him, as well as her security clearance and access to world leaders like Merkel and Lagarde. Ivanka's lack of Merkel-level accomplishments was not lost on women in Berlin, the host of the summit, according to Alexander Smith of NBC. Ivanka had come to the country that prides itself on meritocracy, and German women were quick to question Ivanka's participation in an event that featured uber-qualified speakers. Quote, why does she have the power and position to meet Angela Merkel? Asked Igna Meyer, a 49-year-old creative director. Meyer was also puzzled by Ivanka's role in the White House, saying it's not exactly clear what she's supposed to be doing. She obviously has more power than what her official role suggests, she said. Sandra Topeka, who works for the Berlin International Film Festival, agreed that Ivanka's business career might make her a good fit for the summit. Ivanka started her eponymous fashion brand in 2007, but says she has stepped away from the day-to-day management of it to avoid conflicts of interest with her White House job. But on a political level, Topeka didn't think Ivanka was such a good fit. It's pure nepotism that she's in that position, she added. She's partaking in negotiations at the White House and has security clearance. (laughs) Miriam Meckel, the female German editor monitoring Uh, moderating Ivanka's panel was similarly skeptical of the first daughter's qualifications as well as her motives according to Political. Meckel, editor-in-chief of Witchcraft Walsh, pressed Ivanka with some challenging questions. The German audience is not that familiar with the concept of first daughter, Meckel said. I'd like to ask you what is your role and who you are representing as your father is president of the United States, the American people, or your business. It was an aggressive line of questioning for Ivanka, who had shied away from tough interviews since last summer when she abruptly ended an interview with a cosmopolitan writer who pressed her on gaps in her father's proposed family leave policy. Meckel's questions likely put, likewise put Ivanka on the spot, Politico says. Trump's daughter did what she often does in such cases, answering without saying anything of substance. Certainly not the latter, Ivanka said, referencing the implication that she was using her White House position to benefit her father's company or her eponymous fashion brand. I'm rather unfamiliar with this role as well, she acknowledged. It has been little under 100 days, and it's been a remarkable and incredible journey. <laughs> she said nothing. The moment that she was booed and uh, the moment that she was booed and hissed by the audience came when she lauded her father for supporting paid leave policies. I'm very proud of my father's advocacy, she said, calling him a tremendous champion of supporting families and enabling them to thrive. Meckel pushed Ivanka to address the boos and for how her father came under fire as a presidential candidate with his history of saying demeaning things about women and for facing sexual misconduct and assault accusations leveled by more than a dozen women. There's actually video of the whole thing, too. Oh, we should watch. In response, Ivanka blamed the media for that criticism and went on to talk about how her father had been good to her throughout her whole life. In this way, Ivanka reverted to a familiar pattern. She's playing the loyal daughter, defending her father no matter what, even if it means undermining her self-styled image as an advocate for women's empowerment. It's therefore no surprise that so many women in Saturday Night Live's now famous complicit perfume ad view her as an enabler of her father's worst tendencies. 
Such women include those protesting outside the summit Wednesday, waving signs, calling her a fascist henchwoman, and <laughs> saying she empowers chauvinism, bigotry, and cuts to women health. Given this hostility to Ivanka in Germany, it came as a surprise to many that Chancellor Merkel invited her to speak at the summit. What was Merkel's thinking, many wondered. But political observers believe that Merkel invited Ivanka out of necessity. As a skilled political operator, she may have recognized that she was the only, that would be the only way to deal with President Trump. An atypical leader, to say the least, is to go through his daughter, as they told Political. The Germans are as bemused as everyone else in attempting to navigate how this White House manages its official relationships. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's amazing. So this is... The moment Ivanka Trump was booed, we can watch this. We can listen. Hopefully there's no commercial. Daughter Ivanka Trump paid Germany a visit. She met with German Chancellor Angela Merkel for the W20 summit. The motto of the day was inspiring women, scaling up women's entrepreneurship. But just as there was the awkwardness of her father refusing to shake Merkel's hand, Another viral moment sprung up as Ivanka discussed paid maternity leave. I'm very, very proud of my father's advocacy. Long before he came to um, the presidency, but, but during the campaign, including in the primaries, he's been a tremendous champion of, of supporting families and enabling them to thrive in the new reality of... Ivanka was asked to comment on the booze by the majority female audience. I've certainly heard the criticism from the media and... Um, that's been perpetuated, but I know from personal experience and his belief and solid conviction in the potential of women and um, and their ability to to do the job as well as any man. Later, the first daughter paid tribute at the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. Oh, Lord. Um, um, hey. Okay. Just because that that's your daddy. You're his daughter. You, of course, are special in his eyes, a daughter that he wants to fuck. Yeah, right. Um, and in 2006, she said that if he wasn't her father, she'd spray him with mace. It's a great, <laughs> it's a great Ivanka quote. That, I didn't know if that. If he That's wasn't funny. my father, I'd spray him with mace. But it, it's just... Because like, he champions the rights of women everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean oh, God. Complicit. Yeah. Ivanka. Yeah, absolutely complicit. Oh, I'm so Moving. sad. I'm so dude, sad. Dude, I can tell you this. It's great material, but it's it's fucking sad too. It's just I It's sad good material. Is there such thing? It's I jeez, I, so. I don't even know. Here's the best thing that I read on the internet yesterday. And nobody thinks it's funny, but I love puns. Ouch. A bottle of omega-3 capsules f- fell out of the cupboard and banged me on the head. Luckily, the injuries were only superficial oil. <laughs> Super- superficial oil instead of superficial. Oh, no, that was oh my. Oh, oh, Omega three hit me in the head. It was superficial oil. It's the little things that have to make it's us the, smile nowadays. It's the little things that, <laughs> yeah, that it's the only things that are making me smile. Um, so here's what my dad sent me this week. Yay, dad, Well, dad. I guess the lesson is here. <laughs> Don't play golf in Florida. This is this is <laughs> thanks this is thanks to my father thanks, who dad. plays golf in Arizona. He sends me forward. What is a golf ball worth? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. From Timothy Benjamin, my father. Well, I guess the lesson is here. 
don't play golf in Florida. This seems to be opening Florida man. The ball was in the pond on hole 16 at Oak Crest Golf Club in Florida. It was a brand new Titleist with the Verso logo on it, and he didn't want to lose it. There's a gator. Or take the two-stroke penalty as he was already behind in points. He went and reached to retrieve the golf ball, and the next thing he knew, he was covered in blood. There's a... There's a picture of this guy. He's covered in blood. Oh my, it was a, I knew it. It's his hand. You can see the hand in his mouth. <gasps> the next thing he knew, he was covered in blood. His fellow golfers watched his arm leaving without him. There's a picture. I'm sorry. There's a picture. I'm saving this picture. Save image as awesome meme for the future. This is meme. I'm, I'm saving this Save as, I'm saving it as meme. Dude, don't put your hand in the water in Florida. Don't honestly, don't really go in the he water. He reached in to retrieve the golf ball, oh. and uh, it's a lost cause. And the picture is he lost a hand over a. And you can see his bone and his hand. Oh wait, hold on. Let me see. Oh lord. Look at the bone and the hand. The bone. It just oh. there's his hand. <laughs> there's the gato's mouth, and his dick bag friends took a picture of it. What? Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, no. Mercy dude. flight to the hospital. Hunted for the alligator. <gasps> no. They got the alligator and they killed him. Why'd they kill the alligator? And they opened him up and they took the arm out. Okay, what? this is insane. Okay, you guys aren't going to live. So they, they, they the hunted gator? the alligator. They got the alligator. They killed him. They killed him. Then they opened up his belly. Found the arm. And they found the arm. Saved his arm. So they could sew it back But it still on. cost him two strokes. Lost the ball. And <laughs> ruined the rest of his day for his friends. So this is the picture of him. I'm going to save that one too. Meme two. It's going to be meme two. I'm, I'm mad they killed the alligator. I'm really though. mad that they killed the alligator. I mean, that's a nice pair of shoes. I but. can't believe they hunted the alligator. So the alligator ate the whole thing a whole because you can see they pull it out oh, and oh you see God. his arm coming out of the thing. This is great, Dad. This is a good one. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. It's good. It's I hope good you one. listen to this. He doesn't listen to this. No. no, I know he doesn't. No, he doesn't. But that was great. That oh was my gross. God. How much is a golf How ball? How much is a golf ball worth? <laughs> You're... Yeah, your dad's right. Like, is it man. worth is it worth your arm, you dumb fuck? Florida man loses arm to gator. There are some really, really fucking retarded people in Florida. And first of mm. all, mm. I've been to Florida several times. I, I'll I'll probably go into the ocean when I'm in Miami, but I don't don't fuck with no ponds or lakes or no. Dude, and here's what no. idiot you reach into the You don't the look water. you don't look in the pond before you reach gonna, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got no hand. Wait, wait. Isn't there a scene in Happy Gilmore? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! god. This is that's the meme. That's the meme. The meme is the real Happy Gilmore. That's the meme. The meme is it's the real Happy Gilmore. Go to your home. Go to, no, no, yeah. no, no, Are you too good for your home? Yes. But then, yeah, he, and then he, it's the, the hand with the oh chubs, chubs in the hand. Chubs in the hand. Yeah. Real life chubs. Oh my God. That's the best. That's wow. the best. We'll put it That's on it. I'll make art. a meme out of it. Real oh life chubs. What? 
what? It's just, oh man. I mean, dude, I, I'm sorry your game, you lost your arm. It's really but, amazing. yo, don't. I mean, oh, dude. But why did I have to kill the gator? I, I feel bad because the fact of the matter is like, that gator was hungry, <laughs> number one, and it's a fucking alligator, so right, what do you expect? Right. right. I mean, and you're in fucking Florida in a pond. I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, well, he won't be hit playing golf for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chubs. <laughs> Real life chubs. Real life chubs. Real life chubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. God, that was great. <laughs> it's, oh, uh, man. It just, I've got, I don't know how to make a meme, but I've got real life chubs reached for his golf ball and Florida uh, man. Oh, Florida wow. man. Uh, you know what? I hope that happens to someone at Mar a Lago. <laughs> What's Mar a Lago? Mar a Lago? Oh, that's the Winter White House. That's where... Oh, um, I've heard about that. Cheeto. He loves to play right. golf. So hopefully he'll reach one day into the pond and hopefully an alligator will get him and well, he won't come back. He's such a fat piece of shit. If he loses an arm, it's not going to be enough weight. Mar-a-Lago <laughs> ad belongs in impeachment file. Uh, all, right. all right. What is this about? This is no all. Yeah. Mar-a-Lago ad belongs in an impeachment file by Noah Feldman. This is this is recent. This is as of yesterday. Look at this. You're you're on the cutting edge, Latoya, the sheriff of truth. What, what did the president know about the Mar-a-Lago advertisement that appeared for a time on an official government websites? And when did he know it? These questions might sound trivial, but they aren't. The web page about President Donald Trump's private club, which had all the features of a marketer draft puff piece, is a prime example of corruption. Namely, the knowing use of government means to enhance the private wealth of the president. And corruption is the classic example of a high crime or misdemeanor under the impeachment clause in the Constitution. Oh, you mean so him sending 33 Tomahawk missiles that each cost a million dollar a piece when he owns Tomahawk stock and made and actually made money off of killing people? Well, so wait a minute. So wouldn't that be wouldn't that be cry crime of misdemeanor under the impeachment clause because it's a corruption? Uh Impeachment clause. Impeach. We're gonna. That'll be. That'll be the. Our end. That'll be our last. Like we'll do a gospel at the end of the. Impeach. Stand by. It's gonna be Ivanka standing by him. Impeach that nigga. To be very clear, it doesn't matter whether advertising Trump's for-profit members-only club using government property is a crime under federal law. High crimes and misdemeanors aren't the same as statutory violations. That phrase refers to the misuse of government authority to contradict and undermine democracy and rule of law. In this constitutional sense, using the perks and tools of government to enrich the president's personally is an impeachable offense, Uh an offense that would grow out of a pattern of such acts of corruption. Because the subject of impeachment is so serious, let me begin with an important caveat. One post that went unnoticed for several weeks on a State Department website before being pulled down Monday would not on its own be enough to count as a high crime for purposes of impeaching the president. Without a lot more evidence, the one post isn't enough. The Mar-a-Lago post, however, needs to be seriously investigated as part of a broader analysis whether the whether and how the executive office is being used to enhance the president's existing businesses and brands and thus enrich the president now and in the future. The impeachable act of corruption is the use of tools of government for private gain tools of government like tomahawk missiles that he owns stock in 
and this Mar-a-Lago ad on a government website. Wow. Yeah. So now let's turn to the webpage. We learned two important legal lessons back in February after the White House advisor, Kellyanne Conway, promoted mm-hmm. Ivanka Trump's merchandise on television. television. Yep. This is... Uh, they're clearly creating... Make, they're making uh, money. They're, but they're cr- creating at least... Um, a historical set of events showing how they're using the White House in a corrupt fashion to forward their own po- economic gains. Yeah. And and I didn't know that was impeachable. This is exciting. Uh, that's one violation of federal regulation at 5 CFR 2635.702, if you're keeping track at home, for a government employee to use his public office for the endorsement of any product, service, or enterprise. The second thing we learned is that nothing much necessarily happens if a government employee violates that regulation. Conway got less than a slap on the wrist because it was up to the White House to decide on discipline, if any. The Mar-a-Lago post is much worse. Conway just used the airwaves and her job title to make an endorsement. The webpage uses the resources of the government Government. itself. The State Department's Share America website and the imprimatur of the U.S. Embassy's diplomatic functions to promote the club. Lest we forget, membership prices doubled after Trump was elected and he hosted several foreign foreign leaders there. And these acts were both troubling, but neither was as explicitly as an instance of the use of government resources for private presidential gain. Imagine that that after an investigation, it turned out that the president or someone close to him got ordered the post or ordered the post or knew about it and allowed it to go forward. The president could credibly claim that the regulation against endorsements doesn't apply to him because he's not an employee under its terms. Trump has made clear that he believes the Congress's conflict of interest laws don't apply to him either. Constitutionally, that wouldn't be the end of the matter. Far from it. Congress has the authority and the responsibility to consider presidential conflict of interest when crafting articles of impeachment and deciding to bring them against a sitting president. Some misunderstanding of high crimes and misdemeanors has snuck into popular imagination, mostly since Bill Clinton was impeached in 98. He wasn't impeached. Oh, mostly, I think, since... Yeah, that's funny. He wasn't impeached. He wasn't impeached. Uh, so this guy was wrong. The two Under the two articles of impeachment approved by the House against Clinton consisted of perjury and obstruction of justice in connection with the Paula Jones case and his relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Both of those are prosecutable prosecutable offenses under criminal law. But Congress filed those articles of impeachment because Clinton hadn't done anything else that would have counted as a distinct misuse of his governmental authority. Lying about his affair under oath wasn't a distortion of the office of president. It was a personal wrongdoing, not professional. The articles of impeachment proposed against Richard Nixon only made it through the House Judiciary Committee and were never adopted by the full House of Representatives. They are more complicated and in keeping with the constitutional tradition. The first article does allege obstruction of justice, but all three of the articles charge Nixon with acting against his oath to take care of the law's to be faithfully executed. Several of the specific allegations are for conduct that might not have been ordinarily criminal, just as maintaining a secret investigative unit in the White House or failing to stop his subordinates from thwarting the Watergate investigation. These are classic high crimes, high in the sense that they relate directly to the president's misuse of his own high office. That's the historical meaning of high crimes and misdemeanors, a phrase that the framers of the Constitution took from the English constitutional tradition and the impeachments under 
undertaken by parliament against its royal officials. Corruption is the archetypical instance of a high crime. It can be defined simply as the use of government office for the president's private gain. Small violations can add up to an impeachable offense. Nothing weakens the rule of law more effectively than gradual erosion. And that's why it's important not to treat the Mar-a-Lago post as minimal or insignificant. The rule of law takes centuries to build. It can be destroyed much quicker. And when it comes to the president, the criminal laws are not the constitutional answer. Impeachment is one. Impeachment is one, I'm confident that the case of Mar-a-Lago, the Post endorsed the private club, but it's still not clear that the Post violated this regulation because it's not clear who exactly was using his or her public office to do the endorsing. Maybe the author of the Post broke the regulation. Maybe the embassy staff who posted it did so, but I don't expect to see any serious enforcement of the, relation, of the regulation. Two, which is unlikely to happen with Republican control of both the House and Senate. Ooh. So there you go. That's amazing. This just came out yesterday, yesterday. in wow. the uh, it, it's the Bloomberg View, and it's from uh, the he's at Noah Feldman is a Bloomberg View columnist. He's a professor of constitutional and international law at Harvard University, and was clerk to the U.S. Supreme Court Justice. David Souter. His seven books include The Three Lives of James Madison, Genus, Partisan, and President, and Cool War, The Future of Global Competition. Wow. Oh, that's interesting fact. Yeah, and so it's marketer's dream photographer. So the, the, the image, you've got an image of Mar-a-Lago. And, a way for him to make some money. Probably, right. Off, off wow. the government's dime. <laughs> right. Keep doing the stuff you do and Cheeto, keep on. And this is this is from two hours ago. Grassley defends Trump's Mar a Lago trips on meeting with China's president. I'd call that work. <laughs> God. I'd call that work. Oh Lord. Uh so uh <sighs> they want us to answer a survey. Fuck them. We're not going to we're not going to read this article then. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's uh, this is from the Gazette. This is from the Iowa Gazette. Wow. And it's under local def- government. Grassley defends Trump's Mar-a-Lago trips. Yeah, because he's been going to play golf almost every weekend. Yeah. And his, he's coming up on his 100 days right. uh, this weekend. So I think he's already spent um, eight, eight million or three. No, four million, three or four million already. Uh, on his uh, trips to the Winter White House. That's and awful. And this poll has been only in office since January 20th. That's awful. And mind you, there was a point in time when uh, the Republicans were getting after Obama for playing golf, who, by the way, I think only spent $8 million a year or throughout the whole eight right, years. Right, right, right. Um, I think it was for the whole eight years. So this is, here's the thing. He is the sole beneficiary. Critics complain that resources are being used to tout the for-profit club, which Trump refers to as the Winter White House, the club in Palm Beach, Florida, is held in Trump's trust, of which he is the sole beneficiary. Yeah, so he gets he to use his it. own... He's yeah. using money. Ooh, ooh, it's so... Yeah. This is all loopholes with taxes. Yeah. So with whether... Oh man, where I'm uh, like, I'm like sitting here running this radio station and trying to do a good thing for the world and getting paying myself a thousand dollars a month, and he's spending a thousand. I mean, he's using his money. own. He makes. He's the making money. the money. Oh, he is. He, why can't we impeach now? Impeach. Impeach. 
and, peach, and then now they have peach. I was reading earlier there's a, a the tax plan where the um, I was reading in Huffington Post um, where the, there's the new tax plan god damn it come on Huffington Post um, that was of course going to benefit trillions to the rich yeah um so, uh, President Trump, President, excuse me, President Chito's top economic economic advisors on Wednesday proposed trillions of dollars in tax cuts for millionaires under a plan billed as the biggest tax reform in over eight thirty years. In a one-page statement of principles for tax reform provided to the reporters, the administration offered few specifics. They did on three major perks for the wealthy. However. Reducing the tax rate on stocks, bonds, and real estate investments, eliminating inherent taxes for millionaire heirs oh. and heiresses, oh. and bringing down the tax rate on largest corporations to less than half of what it is now. That You know what? That offends my Marxist leanings so hard that he's saying, like, taking the taxes away from inheritance because not when you're inheriting money, screw you. You should tax it again. You're going to inherit money that you didn't earn. You're earning it right now, so you better pay taxes on it. And to, and to remove those loopholes, it just continues making the rich richer, and it sucks. Because there are people that work so hard. There are people who want to work. <laughs> I mean... Who can't work hard because right, they can't find a job. But now they're saying, get these immigrants out of here because they're, you know, picking our strawberries and but they're taking it's, all it's our even, jobs. It's even uh, his base, too. And it's even his base where it's just like y'all poor white folks like and the thing is he still has a strong hold with these people he, they, they still think he's doing a good job but I don't think they're reading and I don't think they know how to read but it's just like he he's coming at, he's gonna get y'all he's getting us excuse me but I didn't vote for Cheeto he's gonna I mean that's the thing I keep thinking. He's after us. But this is but this he is going back. Speech. This is this is going back to what you were showing me about the whole Steve uh, fungus Bannon yeah, stuff. Yeah, toe fungus. Yeah, toe fungus about like he made the movie about the Clintons. <laughs> I, I, seriously, and talking about corruption. Corruption. There's nothing worse. <laughs> and than, he works for this administration. <laughs> right. I mean, he's the president. Excuse me of the administration. Right. He's the he's the chief. What is he chief again? He's, the, he's White House chief strategist. White House chief liar. Chief spinner. <laughs> like how more corrupt can you get? I mean, I don't get me wrong. So I know I know the Clintons are corrupt. Yeah. Everybody, corrupt. everybody, everybody. I'm sorry. Any kind of pol- politician. But yo, come on. These people aren't even smart enough to hide their corruption. Right. They'll, no, they think they're too. That's because they think they're above the law. That's yeah. because these are high crimes and misdemeanors. Because they think that they're better than us. They Because yeah. Donald Trump thinks that he's God. He doesn't think that we're all the same. That he's a human with a blood and circulatory system. That we're all <laughs> the same. We're not. Yeah, we're not the same to him. No, yeah. we're not people. We're, we're consumers. Not. We're we don't. We're dollar bills. We're not people. We don't. We're not real. And if we're actually saying things that affect us, whoa, no, that's fake, not, fake news. Fake yeah. news. Fake news. I'm. I. It's. I'm. This is. I can't even. I can't even. Like. I just. I don't even know anymore. It just keeps getting worse. And can I? We can see that he's making it's, money. It's, it's right. Of, it's right in your face, yo. It's, it's right in all of our faces. Every time. I, is it weird that every time I see a red ball cap, oh. I'm thinking like, 
oh, is it someone that has Make America Great Again? Is it someone that... Wait, every time I I'd see a red I'd rather see a Crip. I'd rather see a Crip or a Blood. I'd be yeah. like, oh, you wearing a red hat? <laughs> With a B on it and them Bostons or the Bloods, it's, baby, it's, Bloods. It's really true. Every time I see a red cap, I'm like... I, I get mad. I'm like, who's this motherfucker? Oh, okay. It, it's a it's a Boston Red Sox. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, it's okay. Ooh. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be okay. I'm really scared. Uh, I'm really scared about doing my taxes this year because I have to do this thing called a Schedule C. And I'm, uh, you know, and, and I'm like, I'm wondering, I've got these like total tax issues now and it's weird, but I don't. Like the money isn't there and I want to pay myself and then stuff. And then I know how to run a business, but not really. And it's legal, but it's, I mean, everything's like scary. And well, then the scary, scary thing is just like how to do your taxes, especially if you have a business too. Well, and uh, the, the thing is I get paid a thousand dollars a month and all of it goes to my rent. So if they, but they can't tax me at the end of the year because $12,000 a year isn't enough to actually pay taxes. I don't think. So that's where I'm okay because if they at the end of the year suddenly go, oh, we want to tax you, I'm be like, I On made twelve thousand dollars this year. I'm like way below the poverty line. Do, do you want to know what the mean right now? The median uh, money amount that just came out yesterday, one hundred and five thousand dollars a year is the average money of a person that lives in San Francisco. That's the average. Average. So when I make twelve thousand a year, I'm like <laughs> on the. I'm on the real poor side. Yeah, you, you should be living in a box, but you don't. Right. Well, no, because I'm frugal and crazy, yeah. and, um, and I make it work. Uh, and I know that that's the thing too. A lot of trade economy, like, doesn't isn't. I mean, are they going to come after me because of trade economy? Because I made you a cookie and you bought me a beer. Seriously, is that what it's coming down to? They're going to come get me. They're going to be like, we saw you. We saw you drink that, that IPA. And sad, sad, sad face at my favorite bar, Benders. They just upped the price of um, West Coast. So now I got to go back to Racer 5. Oh, really? It's fine. I can go back to Racer 5. How much? They, well, they used to be... So I always go during happy hour where the $5 beer becomes a $4 beer so that I can get a beer with a tip for $5. That's how I do it. Right. And West Coast used to be like that, but now they've raised it to $6 normal time, which means it's $5 happy hour time. Happy hour. So it means it's $6 if I want to get it with a tip. And I just I just don't want to do that. I just rather, it's easier for it just to be a five for me. So I'm moving back to Racer 5. <laughs> five Alive. So Jonathan and I are drinking those now. It's good stuff. Uh, also, just to, just to let you guys know, coming up... Uh, at two o'clock on Some Call Me Tim is Scotto of Flat Black Plastic, my favorite show here on the station that I'm not a part of. Uh, he plays all vinyl. And we're going to talk about what he believes in. It should be a really fun, fun conversation today. Um, not as fun as talking about what we're going to talk about next. It's that time, everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's time to... Uh, let's go through some of the um, <laughs> amazing, hateful quotes that uh, he has said in the past. And we're talking about Steve. And we're talking about Fungus Bannon. Steve Fungus Bannon. Uh, Trump whisperer Steve <laughs> Bannon. Uh, this nigga's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, he's a scary guy. Here's the here's the scary stuff he said. He said these are some of the insidious headlines from Breitbart News. Uh, and it's a, it's a hate site steeped in misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and white nationalism and anti-Semitism. Here's some of the headlines. Gay rights have made us dumber. It's time to get back in the closet, tw- June 2015. <laughs> Hoist it high and proud. The Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. 
July 2015. <laughs> after those people were murdered. Published after the mass shooting at a black church in, in Charleston, South, South Carolina. Carolina. And the funny thing is, he's not being the onion. He's not joking. He's not, this isn't a funny, funny... No, uh-huh. I mean, he believes this shit. The, the Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. <laughs> Trannies whine about hilarious Bruce Jenner billboard. <laughs> Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. Fuck. December what? 2015. What? The author of the article, Milo Yiannopoulos, oh, advised that women that birth control makes you fat, makes your voice sound sexy, and makes you a slut. By the way, he's he likes dicks anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know yeah. who that fuck face is, don't you? Uh, he's the guy that tried to come to UC Berkeley, Berkeley and they had a big. I, I think big I really fight wish I really wish Berkeley would have let him come and speak because they did the same thing to Ann Coulter Here's, this week. This is the actual. You can see the actual thing. Birth control <laughs> makes women attract unattractive and crazy. And they showed gnarled pro-choice America signs. Birth control, not my boss's business. There's a woman dressed up as a pill. Here's another one. There's no hiring bias against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not a joke. I know it's not I, a I joke. I mean, it seems funny. It seems it's like it funny, could be the onion. But people believe this shit. The solution to online harassment is simple. Women should log off. God. Then there's a picture of a child crying, a little girl crying. Here's more of it on Breitbart TV. Wow. Would you, ra- would you rather your child had feminism or cancer? Jesus Christ. Would you rather your child had feminism or cancer? World Health Organization report, trannies 49 times higher HIV rate. Trannies. So Fucking. just mean and homophobic. After the Pulse Club massacre, it's time for gays to come home to the Republican Party. And he has a picture of... Um, boys hugging Come and crying. Come home to the Republic. That people that hate them. Yes. Right. Like, ugh. This is, here's here's what he said. Uh, oh, that's God. one of the unintended consequences of the women's liberation mu- movement. That, in fact, the women that would lead this country would be feminine. That they'd be pro-family. That they'd have husbands. That they would love their children. They wouldn't be a bunch of dykes that came from the Seven Sisters school. He said dykes. This is why nobody loves his ass. Bannon believes that progressivism is essentially nothing more than a philosophy of victimhood. They're either a victim of race, they're a victim of sexual preference, they're a victim of general, all about victimhood. The United States is a great oppressor, is is the great oppressor, not the great liberator. Fuck, okay, this piece of shit right here does not have a vagina, Right. is white, straight, and a male. Yeah. You have nothing to worry about but your cholesterol. Right, exactly. That's so funny. That's you... a good joke, Latoya. Oh, keep going. In a court deposition, Bannon's ex-wife, Louise Picard, not only did she accuse him of being an anti-Semite, she brought charges of domestic violence against him. But they were dropped after she appeared to fail in court. She was probably um, harassed or something. So here's the quote that she had about him. The biggest problem he had with the Archer School for Girls is the number of Jews that attend. He said that he doesn't like Jews and he doesn't like the way they raise their kids to be whiny brats. And they didn't want the girls going to a school with Jews. Yeah, I read about that one. Knowing that he sounds like a whiny little bitch anyway. I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's insane. <laughs> there are racist people involved in the alt-right? 
Absolutely, he told Mother Jones this year at Republican <laughs> National Convention. Look, there are some people that are white nationalists and are attracted to some of the philosophies of the alt-right. Maybe. Are there some people that are anti-Semitic that are attracted? Maybe. Right? <laughs> Maybe some people are attracted to the alt-right that are homophobes, right? But that's just like, there are certain elements of the progressive left and the hard left that attracts certain elements. <sighs> It's he's just uh Yeah. He, he he is a really happy son of a bitch. You know what? I wish I could have a gun so I can give it to him and he can just off himself. The the solution to online <laughs> harassment is simple. Women should log off. Again by Yanopoulos, this time accusing women of screwing up the internet for men by invading every space we have online and ruining it with attention speak seeking and in a needy, demanding, touchy feeling form of feminism. Oh my god. Bill Crystal Republican spoiler, renegade Jew. <laughs> See? Even the writing isn't very articulate either. He's he's an <laughs> insane person. He, yeah. The sad thing is, you know what's funny is the dynamic of... So there's some White House uh, fighting between um, Fungi and um, Jared Kushner, who is what? Jewish, by the way. Okay. So basically, um, Kushner, they're trying to slowly push uh, Fungi or Fungus out slowly but they're trying to lower his position basically so we're going to see how this plays out it's drama in the white house drama in the white house but look at drama him in the he's white so house. gross just imagine drama, him naked drama. no i don't look at his small, i don't his want penis that probably will be oh. well but and that's the fun thing too why do we always got to get to the penis why why does it always have to be that if something's wrong with the dude that he has a small dick because I mean, that's, that's not it either. <laughs> that's it because that right there, he got a small penis. So are you we are we officially we... saying that Steve Bannon has a small penis? Yes. Is that what's happening? Yes. I always go to the dick. All rise, all rise for his master of spin, Mr. White House Chief Strategist in the Trump administration, 45's main liar, misogynist, racist homophobe. Mm. Steve Bannon man, Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon man. Who is he? Oh, he's Steve, Steve Bannon man. He's Steve Bannon man. Oh, the most hateful, the most hateful quotes. Hate that nigga. Right, Bart is a hateful place. I couldn't share myself on that. Uh. Gay rights have made us dumber and it's time to get back in the closet. Hate, 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 hate. Steve, Steve, Steve Hoist it high and proud, the Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. White is right. Oh, white is right. We're pretty racist against lots of things. Oh, Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Trannies whine about hilarious Bruce Jenner billboard. He's still calling them trannies. Oh, the misogyny, the homophobe, the transphobia. I can't believe it. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. I said birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. What? It makes you fat. It makes your voice unsexy. It makes you a slut. Because it's Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Big, big misogynist. Big, big hater. Uh, uh, uh. What else? White is right. Steve Bannon. Far white right. Uh, uh. Suck it up, buttercups. Dangerous faggot returns to colleges in September. 
I said suck it up, buttercup. Suck it up. Suck it up. Steve, 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 Steve Bannon. Bannon. Steve oh. Bannon. Hate that. Steve Bannon. Hate. 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 Gotta hate the fags. Gotta hate the Jews. Gotta hate the ladies and all of yous. Suck it up, buttercups. Dangerous faggot tour returns to colleges in September. Because he's Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Hate that. Misogyny. Homosexuality. Racism. He's, he's all of it. He's all of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Why don't you just kill yourself? Mm-hmm. I got a gun right here and off yourself now. The solution to online harassment is simple. Women should just log off. They're screwing up the internet for men by invading every single space we have online and ruining it with attention-seeking, needy-demanding, and touchy-feeling form of feminism. Because women belong in the kitchen. Yeah. And no birth control for you, bitch, be pregnant. There's no hiring bias against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. Oh, we don't know how to talk. Would you rather have your child have feminism or cancer? What the fuck does that mean? I really want Steve Bannon to get cancer. Yeah, he looks like he does. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Hey, nasty. Steve, Steve, Steve Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. World Health Organization report. Tranny's 49 times higher HIV rate. There's that word Homophobia again. Homophobia is rampant. Did we mention that he's a White House executive? Oh. <laughs> Did we mention he's maybe the second most powerful person in the United States? He's got the codes. Misogyny and racism. Racism and transphobia and homophobia. All that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Hey, nice nigga. We do it every week. How do we do it? How does it keep happening? It's so amazing. It's so amazing. We're just, it's it's incredible. Every week. It's coming. It's It's coming. coming. It's going to be really exciting. And now we have. I told you like this, uh, the whole White House, it's too easy. They're too dumb. It's too, it's too easy to make fun. His face is just so. Steve Bannon, Steve, fungus Steve, man. Steve like, Bannon, like, fungus he, man. Like, I, has he seen a dermatologist? I, like, I, he has enough money to do it, I obviously. I mean, just, come on. He, he just looks so unhealthy. Like, he looks like... I'm like, you know the nigga don't eat, right? You know he's a heavy drinker. He's got bad skin. You know he's got high blood pressure and cholesterol. He's, he's, got, he's got that um, that face that looks like... Um, John Travolta, you know, when he's been getting older, he's been spreading. Like, his face looks like it's spreading. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to insult John Travolta like that. Yeah, right. But but you called it earlier. He looks like, um, you oh, God. Did you say, like... Uh, something about a scab, a butt scab, scab yeah, or yeah, scabby like hemorrhoid. A sc- yeah, like you that. said he looked like a scab, and that's, he kind of, he really does look like a scab. Yeah, he's a terrible person. Yeah, he needs to be loved, but don't nobody want to love that hateful piece of shit. Three, three divorces. Three. Yeah. I bet you he does sleep with hookers. I, I, I bet you. I bet you he'll be, get caught like sleeping with some kind of prostitute or something. That'd be fun. I, I mean, I love. I, I well, that's a question scandals. though. So if you, so a sex scandal though with an, an high up, that has that's no room for impeachment. It 
although it was for Clinton sort of, um, but it's because not because he lied under oath. Because he lied under oath. But That's having sex with having a having a mistress and having sex outside your marriage isn't like you can't impeach. You can't. You can't. Uh, no, you can't impeach her unless you lie under oath. But right. what I'm saying is, I I hope he does come. I don't know. It, something bad is going to happen. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it. Like yes. it, it just takes time. And unfortunately, we have, at least we have the material to make fun of it. But hopefully, you know, the sad thing is, I hope we're not going to be dropping any more bombs. We already have an opioid crisis. We already have police brutality. We we already have sexism and race. I mean... Right. Well, the bringing back of... I mean, the, I mean, the sexism... I mean, it's always been there, but all of a sudden now it just seems it's like... It's ramped up. It's ramped up and it seems like we're okay with it. It seems like everyone's like, oh yeah, racism, great, let's be racist. Yeah, sex and Holocaust centers and... I mean, just uh, the words that are being banned about. This is um, the latest. This just came out 16 hours ago. 45 <laughs> to sign executive order on education. Oh, he needs one. <laughs> uh, let's, we'll go through this. Um, President 45 plans to sign an executive order today aimed at minimizing the federal government's role in education. The order will direct the education secretary to conduct a study to identify potential overreach by the federal government on education issues. That's according to a White House official who spoke on condition of anonymity to outline the details of the order that will be signed during an event with governors. 45 has spent little time discussing education issues since taking office, despite (laughs) Trump promising during the campaign to deliver more control to state and local entities. The president will hide a handful of executive orders this week as he seeks to rack up the accomplishment ahead of his 100th day in office. Uh... Trump and education. It's really a bummer. It just, it just doesn't go into the same sentence. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just like his grammar and every, like, oh. uh, this ha- This happened at 4.05 p.m. yesterday. President 45 is insisting his promised wall along the southern border will be built by the end of his first term in office. But 45 is refusing to say whether he's willing to force a government shutdown at the time of the week by insisting money for his wall will be included in a must-pass spending bill. The president tells reporters, the wall's going to get built, he says. It's going to have a huge impact on human trafficking. <laughs> he expects the construction to start soon. 45 will be gathering, uh, told a gathering of conservative media reporters Monday evening that he might be willing to wait until September for the funding. 45's chief spokesman said the wall will remain a top priority for the president. Boo. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why that's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Just because, you know, because he said Mexico was gonna pay for it, um, and now you know, of course, Mexico's not. You can't force another country to pay for something, um, right? And then, especially if it's if, your idea. Yeah. Here, here's my idea, and you have to pay for before, it. Exactly. That's like, hey, Pam, I'm gonna go uh, get some more hair weave, and uh, you're gonna pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, <laughs> that's just. It, unheard of right but at first he was supposed they were supposed to start building in august now they push it to september and now a lot of the republicans in the house are like well we don't really have the funding for this so where the, where's right. this money where's the money is it going to come from uh marijuana <laughs> probably not yeah probably not. but the probably thing is like there is a um, an article that he did which is funny if you could please read it because it makes no sense it's from the associated press you should read it too because he's it's just words and it's no one knows what he was talking about. Right. But one of the questions was, um, 
So how much is the wall going to cost? Right. And he said something, uh, I don't know, maybe around the 12 billion, somewhere around that mark. 12 billion? So we're going to defund federal, ed- <laughs> we're going to defund federal education and we're going to find ways to cut spending for federal education, but we're going to build a <laughs> stupid wall. We're going to build a wall, you know what, so that if, if you want to invest, everybody, invest in spades for shovels for tunneling, cinder blocks for holding up tunnels from the Anza Borrego Desert into Mexico. But, but this is why we need education. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is like, he was just, he couldn't even give a real number. Yeah, he's no idea. He, he's just but like, nobody builds walls better than me. Yeah. Not even so my, China, you see. It's from one of our first one raps. Our raps. Yeah, yeah, good Dude, one. but you're absolutely right. It's like, why invest in books and education? Right. Invest in a shovel. Yeah, <laughs> shovels. It's shovels. Excuse me, shovels. Yeah, right. well, we, we need to, because people are just going to, Build tunnels if you build a stupid wall, you dumb fuck. Uh, here's what he said today, and I love America because we get to say that 45 is a dumb fuck. This happened at 12.03 p.m. right when we started the show. President 45 dumb fuck is condemning those who deny the Holocaust and is pledging to confront anti-Semitism. You could look in the face of your your main dude, Mr. Bannon. We, we just did a rap on you. You just did a rap. You could look at him and be like, so you don't like Jews, huh? Can we work on this? And confront anti-Semitism in the White House? In a speech marking Holocaust Remembrance Day, oh God. 45 said those who would deny that 6 million Jews were killed by Germany's Nazi leadership during World War II, quote, are an accomplice to this horrible evil. The president says we must never, ever shrink away from telling the truth in our time. Trump also pledges that as president of the United States, he will always stand with the Jewish people. (laughs) Unless there's money involved. the, The president spoke at the U.S. Capitol ceremony hosted by the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum to mark the unveiling of its new conservation and research center. The center houses a vast collection of artifacts by those who survived Adolf Hitler's massacre of Jews. Okay. Who were we just talking about? Uh, Mr. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon, man. Steve, Steve, Steve 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 Bannon, man. Um, So (laughs) this is just so funny. It's just like such a big, it's, it's not even a contradiction. It's just it's comical. You have you have an anti-Semite in your fucking yeah in your fucking office as your main man as your big dude. And by the way, it, it's not like it's hidden. Right. No. Not yeah. It, he was the CEO of Breitbart for Pete's sake. He yeah. wrote article. I mean, come on, really? Okay. Yeah. It's super super scary. Well, it, whether he wrote Breitbart or not, he was part of it. He profited off it, and he supported it. And he even said so. so in in the court uh, with his ex-wife about like him not wanting his daughters going to this school because he didn't want this kid, his girls ending like whiny Jews. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, isn't it crazy? Uh, we're going to end with a story tonight that's actually a feel-good story. Yeah, make me feel good. Um, because I've been feeling really bad. There was another guy this week who in the Philippines murdered his 11-month-old daughter and then himself. He hung his daughter and then hung himself Facebook. on Facebook yeah, Live. Uh, so that. now we've got the Facebook killer. So Facebook Live is the devil. BT dubs, everybody. Uh, I hate to say BT dubs, but I'm trying to make a point that please don't Facebook Live and don't Facebook Live your suicide. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why is everyone's a reality TV star now? I'm going to kill myself on Facebook Live. Okay, so you don't get to see the results anyway. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to see exactly. But this is a good. This is a happy one. This is how a mom's Fitbit led police to charge her husband with her murder. 
That's a good one. Her Fitbit. How did the Fitbit work? Police in Connecticut say they have solved the 2015 killing of a mother of two and charged her husband thanks to the evidence collected from her Fitbit. Richard DeBate, 40, was arrested earlier... There he is. Was arrested earlier this month for the alleged murder of 39-year-old Connie DeBate in their home in Ellington, Connecticut, according to a police report obtained by People. This is from People Magazine. Of course, it's a feel-good story. People have charged him with tampering with or fabricating physical evidence. Oh, police have charged him with tampering with or fabricating physical evidence, providing a false statement uh, and a murder. (laughs) Call to DeBate's attorney was not immediately returned. His bond has been set at $1 million. Debate claimed a masked murderer intruder broke into their home on December 23rd, 2015, tied him up and tortured him and then shot and killed his wife when she arrived, according to an arrest warrant. A masked murderer? Debate had only minor injuries when police arrived at the scene. Connie was found dead in their basement, the warrant said. More than a year after Connie's death, police were able to track down a key piece of evidence, her Fitbit. According to data gathered from the device... Connie was moving around for nearly an hour after her husband said she was killed, according to court documents. DeBate claimed that on the morning Connie was killed, he took his two sons to the bus stop, returned home for a work shirt, and left for work about 8.30 a.m. He told police his wife was still home getting ready for a fitness class at the YMCA. Data on her Fitbit indicated she left for her class about 8.46, records show. The arrest warrant states that debate claimed he returned home around 9 a.m. because he forgot his laptop. At the same time, he received a text message alert that their house alarm had been activated. Debate claimed he saw a masked man, about six foot two, wearing all camouflage, including a mask and gloves. He told police the intruder manhandled him and began torturing him with a blowtorch while he was strapped to a chair. Debate also claimed that the intruder stabbed him with a box cutter. He told police they started to fight when he heard his wife return home and yelled for her to run. The intruder, he said, walked downstairs and followed Connie to the basement. DeBate said he tripped down the stairs attempting to go after them. He claimed he heard a gunshot and couldn't hear Connie for about five minutes. When the intruder pointed the gun at him, DeBate said he wrestled with the subject before burning his face with a torch, after which the intruder ran out. Debate claimed he crawled back up the stairs, pressed a panic button on his alarm, and called 911 at about 10:11 a.m. Evidence gathered by police from Connie's Fitbit, both their cell phones, computers, and house alarm logs, show that Debate logged into a computer at the house at about 9:01 and at 9:04 a.m. Debate said his supervisor at work an email saying an alarm at the house had gone off and that he'd have to return to check it. The warrant said. Connie's Fitbit registered movement inside the house at 9.23 a.m. She was active on Facebook between 9.40 and 9.46 a.m., posting videos to her page on her iPhone from home, according to the warrant. The last recorded distance her Fitbit tracked was 1,217 feet between 9.18 a.m. and 10.05 a.m. Detectives concluded that the total distance it would take Connie to walk from the car to the basement where her body was found was no more than 125 feet, according to the warrant. During his interview with detectives, debate admitted to having an extramarital affair that ended in a pregnancy, although he was vague with police as to whether his wife knew about the affair or the unplanned pregnancy outside of their marriage. Mm. The warrant said he is expected to enter a plea during his next court date on April 27th, which is tomorrow. Well, wow. Mr. So, Debate, 
Good luck. So wait a minute. You're too much of a punk to tell your wife. So you rather murder her? Wow. wow. You're a disgusting human being. Yeah. I hope you go to the booty house and you get raped. Well, he, I mean, I don't know if Connecticut has the death penalty, but the concept that he fabricated all of that, like he thought he got away with this with since it. 2015. He's like, oh no, it's cool. You know that there's a there's police in there going like, oh, we got the Fitbit. And we've got wow. that she's, it doesn't mesh with his story. It doesn't match. I mean, that's a beautiful, it's a great detective story, but it's just sad. Like It's so going to be on dun dun. It's gonna be. It's gonna. <laughs> it's gonna be. A, it's gonna be a lifetime movie. You know it is. Uh, at Law and Order SVU. La, dun, dun. Uh, dun, dun. <laughs> it, that's just really fucking sad, though. Like you, you killed your wife because you had an extramarital affair, got a woman pregnant. Obviously, it's either you told her or you. She was about to leave your ass. So you, yeah. you, you thought murder yeah. would be the murder is the best. Well, you know, and 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 I'll and I'll leave our listeners with this here on the Alticast. I knew it was time to divorce my husband when I used to imagine him just dying. Oh, yeah. Like I used to be like, oh, you know what would be great if my husband died? That would be like the best. You would have been unsnapped. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, that would be the best if he just died in That'd a car accident or something. And then I was like, you know what? I really need to divorce this poor man. If I'm imagining him, and I wasn't having an affair or anything. I just was unhappy in the relationship. But I realized the minute you wish your partner dead, it is it's time, time to, to get a new partner. You need to be you alone. You just walk away. You, you say, thank away. you. Bye-bye. Bye. You don't need to murder anybody. God. People, why don't people... Oh, anyway. Well, thanks, Fitbit. Yeah, thanks, Fitbit. Uh, well, so... That's the CNN Altacast. I think it was another successful yes, Altacast. I think indeed. now we have uh, rap number six on our, um, and then we know at the end we'll do a big um, gospel. We'll do a big gospel thing to bring everybody to Jesus. We'll have the come to Jesus gospel. Come to Jesus. For the 45 administration. We'll call it the impeachment, the impeachment gospel. In, because these niggas need Jesus. They need, they need, they believe in him. They talk about him, but they don't live the way he talks the about. The devil is in that house. The devil is in that house. That white house. The white, the white devil. devil. The white devil. is in the house. Or is he orange? Orange, orange devil. devil in the house. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Join us at uh, 2 o'clock for some Call Me Tim. Thanks again to LaToya, the Sheriff of Truth. Thank you, Miss Payne. And I will see everybody later. Bye. Bye. Chance on the Chancellor. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
We are Unleash the Rain, and we're coming to you streaming live every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. here at MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission in San Francisco. Because we need more rain in San Francisco. Yes, we're still in a drought here in California, but this is a business show, you silly man. Uh, I was hoping for a rain dance. Well, why, that would be a lot of fun, and we do have a lot of fun on the show. What we do is we help small and medium-sized businesses leverage technology to increase revenue and reduce expenses and make it rain for your business. Are you sure it's going to be fun if I listen? We are very fun. We're also real world. We are not messing around. We're going to give you the real deal. Cool. So I can send an email to Vincent at Unleash the Rain or Stacy at Unleash the Rain and ask my business question or my yes, technology question? Absolutely. Ask us your business and technology questions. We would love to answer those on the air. And then listen to our podcast or listen to us live on and, Tuesdays. And also Tuesdays. check us out on Facebook at Unleash the Rain. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, 